0: Welcome to season five of the Do More Good Podcast.
1: You're listening to the Do More Good
2: Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, do more. do more Good
1: Podcast.
2: Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah.
1: Okay, You're listening to the
0: Do More Good Podcast.
2: Hey, here we are James episode number 68 of the do more good podcast how are you doing
0: Kenneth I'm good I'm good the countdown is on we've got one more day of homeschooling to go and then the kids are back in
2: I know. how excited are you yeah it's very
0: much far more excited than the kids are about seeing their mates again but how's it been
2: uh, yeah yeah it's it's been the last week I think my wife said to me this morning I'm just giving up now I was like darling it's okay <laughs> we're only three days away from them going back you know what, I think we were having a bit of a conversation, weren't we, the other day about this? I think it's been a time that we'll never get back in terms of being able to see the children grow, develop, teach them things, you know, not not that they've learned anything, but getting that time just to spend with them has been been really precious. And I'm I'm thankful that I've had that opportunity. But on the yeah. other side of it, I can't bloody wait until they go yeah, back. Yeah, I
0: think I think you're right. When you're in it, you don't really appreciate what it is and we'll look back on this as a as a nice time. but what were, you,
2: um, what were you like at school? The formative years, aren't they, primary school? Like I was talking to someone the other day about this. My daughter's, you know, year six. And, you know, that's that last year at primary school where you start to kind of become into a young adult. You know, you start to kind of things start changing in your body. I have fond memories of, of year six. I think I was, I was a bit of a I think I was a, quite a good kid at school, I think. But, yeah, it was a really fond memories looking back. What about you? I bet you were a naughty boy, weren't you? There's that phrase, isn't there? Like the, the
0: boys want to be him. The girls want to be with him. I was like not in the cool gang and the girls didn't really know who I was. So no, I was really, I was just good. I was like one of those really boring, good kids.
2: Not much has changed then.
0: No, exactly. No, <laughs> no. After your reviews of my Instagram stories as well. God, brutal, brutal. But, you
2: know, um... We've been trying to make a little bit more of that, haven't we? Um, someone said this social media is quite a big thing. but um... Apparently so. We've been a bit slack, but thank you for the people that have reached out to us. We, we put an ask out there a couple of weeks ago and just said, look, if anyone wants to come in and join us on this journey of what the Do More Good podcast is and maybe can, can bring a bit of something different to the table, then we're all ears. And a few people have got in touch. So yeah, that, it's that's
0: exciting. Yeah. really
2: positive, really positive. But look, let's let's crack on. We've got another great guest, I think, this week. Someone I think we're both really excited to, to hear more from a really interesting backstory So we'll crack on and introduce. So our guest this week launched his company in 2012. And since then, the organisation has processed more than £55 million in donations for charities. Now, after being expelled twice from school, our guest went on to study philosophy at the University College London. It was there that his passion for business and entrepreneurialism were developed and he explored a number of business ventures. And one of the first business ventures he started was a charity comparison site that would ultimately not be successful. However, undeterred, he continued to explore digital technology and how this could improve the impact of the charity sector. Now, with a decade of experience working with charities, he's been featured in Forbes 30 Under 30, Top Social Entrepreneurs, and he's also been a judge at the UK National Business Awards his company infuse has been growing at an exceptional rate offering a white label solution to charities looking to process donations gather registration for events or launch virtual events under their own brand and so after the events of the last 12 months you know digital fundraising has never been so important to charities of all sizes so we're really pleased when we connected with our guest and we confirmed the date for this interview. So we'd like to welcome Chester Mojay Sinclair to the Do More Good podcast. Chester, how are you?
1: Very good, Kenneth. And uh, thank you very much for the the flattering introduction. Fantastic to be on your brilliant, brilliant podcast. Uh, And good to good to meet you too, James.
0: You too. As we touched on there, I think we should probably follow on. There was a little teaser in the intro there. Uh, What were you like at school?
1: I gave. I think I gave my parents a pretty difficult time. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's fair to say. Yeah, I, I had a, a, a fairly fairly disruptive childhood. Traveled around quite a lot. I missed most of the primary school years, uh, so I was expelled a couple of times. It, one one time in particular is a is an is an interesting story. I used to I used to get in trouble for singing Oasis in the classroom. Uh, I'd, I would get the whole class to join in and sing Oasis, which was incredibly disruptive. So, I mean, of course, the great amusement of my classmates, but the teacher felt quite differently about it. So uh, one occasion she sent me out and uh, towards the end of the, the class, I I, I decided if, if the teacher wanted me to leave, I thought maybe everybody else wanted to stay in. So I, I held on to the door handle. Um, I, was, I was about eight, eight, nine years old, I think at the time. Uh, the teacher tried to turn the handle and it snapped and the whole class was... Was locked in the classroom and eventually had to evacuate out the window. And they had to bring in a locksmith to drill out the lock and uh, and replace the entire mechanism. And that was that was kind of the final straw. So I got up to mischief, but I wasn't unkind. But uh, th- but certainly mischief was my mo, and that did land me in a bit of trouble.
0: You were the cool kid. You were la- you were leader of the cool kids.
1: Uh, I'm not sure I was really even around long enough to to, <laughs> to be able to achieve any kind of status. So I was I was straight out the door. <laughs>
2: Chester, thank, thanks a lot for, for, for joining us. We do, we do uh, appreciate your time and, and have to say the best Zoom background we've ever had on the podcast as well. I mean, is it real or is that one of the, one of the templates on, from Zoom itself?
1: No, no, that's, uh, that's my real brick wall uh, in my apartment.
2: Looks amazing. Yeah, Incredible. Good. Before we kind of delve into to your journey and, and your work with the sector, obviously we're just coming out of what we hope is the pandemic and the impact. How, how's the last 12 months been for you and the team?
1: I think intense would be a, a good one-word description. Like many many organisations had to rapidly change our uh, our roadmap back in in March last year. Uh, it's been a great honour really to to have the opportunity to play you know an important role in in the sector over the last over the last year. But very challenging too. So we you know, we, we took really fast decisive action to really accelerate the development of of our products and. Virtual events really started with the the burst of COVID emergency appeals at the start of the pandemic, and then on to, to virtual events and integration of fitness tracker apps and Google Maps integrations, and more recently the launch of our our virtual journeys product. And it's it's really just been a case of all hands to the pump. But we've been you know we've been fortunate to be to be growing and, and be hiring during the crisis, and just I guess excited to hopefully be able to make a bit of a difference. And so, yeah, we've seen a a really rapid acceleration. I think you mentioned in the intro, 55 million raised. It's over 100 million now. So, yeah, really, really accelerated fast.
0: Well, actually, rather than accelerate, we're going to go back to start with. And you touched on school days, but maybe just after that. Obviously, you you were keen on starting businesses and and kind of your entrepreneurial spirit came through because you, you actually began quite early. Was it the last year of uni that you set up your company?
1: Yeah, it actually goes back. So slightly before that, I think like all good stories, it starts with me traveling the world. But I had a, a small e-commerce business when I was a teenager. I think I was about 15, 16 when I started that. It was very small, but I saved up a small amount of money doing that. And when I finished my A-levels, I was able to go traveling um, Australia. I was into surfing, so I did a bit of a, a surf trip. And uh, that that is really how I... I had my first exposure to to the charity sector and, and charity fundraising. I was about 18 at the time. And on my trip to Australia, I eventually ran out of money and I uh, had to get a job. I did face-to-face fundraising in Melbourne for about two months. And then when I came back to the UK before I started at university, I, I worked in telephone fundraising as well for about three or four months, a little bit longer. Came across a lot of a lot of challenges, handling objections from potential donors and you know what? One of the most common ones was around admin costs and fundraising costs. You know, typically I would I would hear people say well, a lot of the money goes on admin and fundraising and doesn't kind of go to the cause. It's this kind of common misconception. But I also became really inspired by the space in those two jobs, learning, I guess, in the training about the impact that those charities had. And I think after months of talking to people and trying to inspire them about these these causes, it actually it, it inspired me. I guess I. I managed to sell myself that process and, and that was kind of my journey into the charity sector and, you know, where it started. Uh, and you mentioned in the intro uh, what I did later at university, but where it started was 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 really around a, a passion to try and fix some of these misconceptions that I'd come across in, in the face to face and fundraising fundraising roles.
0: We've talked to people in the past. And it must be said that they started out as face to face fundraisers or telephone fundraisers, and they said that's the best grounding you can get in fundraising. You know it's proper at the coalface sales technique on the on the street as a foundation for for what you've you've built quite a nice
1: yeah i i I agree I think it's a great place to start it's a really challenging role, but you you get something from those moments when you inspire somebody to become a donor. I found that quite exhilarating. And, and thought, you know, there was more that I could do in this in this space. But it definitely kind of awoke a bit of a a, a passion for, for fundraising.
2: And Chester, you, you mentioned there about, obviously, you started kind of a small e-commerce business when you were 15. You, you've talked a little bit about your childhood and, and moving around. I'm just interested just to dive into that a little bit more. Where, where did that, where do you think that entrepreneurial spirit, if you like, came from? I mean, to start a company at 15 or you know, in the e-commerce platform at 15 to go on to having read about your background and done a little bit of research before today, you know, you've had, you've obviously been in this field of entrepreneurialism for a number of years now, but I'm interested in where do you think it's, it's root was, was it your upbringing or was there something it's, else?
1: It's a difficult one. I've, I've got kind of, I guess I would describe them as slightly hippie parents. So my, my dad's an aromatherapist, my, my mom was a salsa teacher and they've both always been self-employed. They wouldn't call themselves entrepreneurs or business people by any means. I think they would say they're quite the opposite, actually. But certainly it, it quite it was it, it was normal around me to see you would not necessarily have a sort of traditional career and do the corporate, the corporate career ladder, but you would you would create something for yourself. So that was that was certainly um, that was certainly just normal in my in my day-to-day. They say life, but but the idea of of creating a company or entrepreneurship, I I didn't really have any sort of points of reference for that. And I wouldn't say that was really what I did until I got to university. Uh, And that's where I took part in business plan competitions and uh, extracurricular uh, lessons around how to write a business plan and entrepreneurship. And I picked all of that up in my first year at at university. And that's where I developed the sort of precursor for what then went on to be infused when I when I graduated. Uh, so yeah very difficult to say exactly where it came from but I think there was something about that kind of freedom to you know to just pursue your passions really I think that that was what it was And
0: it was in writing I think I'm right in saying it was in writing that business plan that you secured some funding into setting up that first charity comparison site would that be right
1: yeah that's that's right yeah when I got back from Australia and had the, the brief fundraising experience in uh, in the UK as well, then I, I I had the idea for this this charity comparison website, and the idea was to try and dispel the myth about how charities spent their their money, to try and bring a positive light to to that. And I went up on a a, a, a small stage in in the um, uh, auditorium in, in university. It's my first I think it was my first week, or at least the second week after freshers, once I'd recovered from the hangover. And you, you got an opportunity to go and pitch for a team. So I, I just talked about this idea I had. I wanted to bring transparency and trust to the sector and dispel these myths i had encountered in my role as fundraising and managed to get a team together of um, an MBA student from London Business School and another couple of uh, master's students from, from London Business School and, and a friend of mine and a, a master's student from UCL and, and put this team together. We won the competition. And I then went on to, to take that forward as a, as a business with one of those team members. And we won further competitions in the second term. And in the end, one of the judges of the competition actually connected me with somebody who, who became my business partner and helped me build the initial platform. That was really the, the, what I would say was a journey into uh, proper entrepreneurship, I guess, and, and developing you know, my, my ideas in, in, in the sector.
2: And am I right again? Is is that is that where the the idea for for charity checkout first blossomed from? Because it, it founded in twenty twelve, right? Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, it, it did. It grew out of that that concept. So I think mm-hmm. there were you know a couple of challenges with the initial idea, which was a was a fundraising website. I think the the first is it didn't quite address the problem I wanted to address in the right way, and. But the more I learn about the space, the, the more I realize I was much more passionate about reframing the whole conversation to focus on charities and their impact and, and less on how they spend their income, but the true the true impact. And I think there is a job to be done, and, and certainly was then to dispel the myths where people think that the ratios are much worse than they are. But actually, what really needs to happen is reframing the debate. And I was very, I got very interested in Dan Parlotta. I don't know if you've read his, his book, Uncharitable that passion took a different direction. And then equally the the platform wasn't very successful in attracting donors. And I realized there are far fewer of these intelligent donors that really want to to research the cause than I'd hoped. But there were a handful of charities that were actually doing very well on the the platform. And I, I spent time speaking to them and trying to understand how they were using the site. And it became clear they were actually linking the donate now button on their website into the donation pages. Uh, of the of the fundraising kind of comparison site that I'd built. and that that was never the purpose. I, I came to realize that lots of small charities were doing that with all kinds of, of different third party fundraising platforms. and essentially they, they were giving their donors a, a quite convoluted, jarring experience where they'd have to leave the charity's website and go to another website, sign up and, and make a donation. And that's where the idea for what, what was charity checkout originally came and I, I didn't really come on to that until my final year at university uh, when I was unable to graduate and unfortunately I was you know it was just in time that that idea came that I could leave university and go on to do that full-time which is what I did in 2012 so so yeah we say Infuse you know Infuse was started in 2012 but I was playing with different ideas for three years before before I got to that point.
0: It's probably a good thing that you didn't have that idea until the third year, actually, isn't it? Rather than, you know, then spending two years disrupting the rest of the class and locking them in the classroom and and being bored yourself. But um, certainly on the Dan Palotta point, there is an interesting thing there, isn't it? And we we could go way into it around how people hold charities to account in a different way that they would businesses. And if anyone hasn't seen that TED Talk, then I'd strongly recommend you go and nod along to it if you're you're involved in the charity sector, look it up. Because actually charities, that's what they want to talk about. It's not necessarily about what they're spending, it's more about the, what that does.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's so important. And we, we need to enable charities to to do many of the things that, that great businesses do, invest in their team, in their, their senior leadership, ensure they have the, the right strategy that they're able to that they're able to make those those kind of decisions and all with a view of of the impact and, and achieving their their charitable goals and objectives. And Ultimately, that's, that's the model of thinking that you know we, I guess, as a sector, want the public to, to move towards. And I think there may be signs that that's, that that's happening. There's certainly signs that the public are feeling much more positive towards charities, particularly now due to the, the, the pandemic. And we, we publish quarterly research on this um, with our, our Donor Pulse report. Uh, we, we found recently that 37% of people are actually feeling more positive about charities, and I think that says something because of the role that charities are playing in this pandemic to get us through all of the issues—domestic violence, mental health, of course, uh, you know, NHS and 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 the related the related charities. But there's so much food and, and poverty relief. Uh, I think I think people are really starting to see how important charities are, and I, I just hope that it it brings more and more attention to. Uh, some of the some of the, the challenges that we put charities through with our with, with some of the conventions that we apply to them and how we think about how they should act. And I think that whole piece around you know trying to trying to ensure charities are constantly driving down admin costs and fundraising costs as if that's you know the purpose of a of a cause. I think that's really harmful and and, and I hope that you know there's there's signs that there's positive signs ahead that the way we think about charities is changing. Mm.
2: And, and Chester, I, I mean, I've been in in and around the sector now, you know, not as long as James, but probably sort of seven seven eight years. And, and it feels over the last five years that we've seen a lot of kind of disruptive technology companies that have come to the forefront. Others similar to yourselves. I guess my my question is 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 why do you think that is? What 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 has been happening that has led to these companies that spring out? Of course, some are more successful than the others. But I'm just interested in, in your view of, of technology and, and in the role it's now playing within the fundraising space.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because the market developed in, in a different way here in the UK than, uh, than it did in, in the US, for example. And in the US, there have been companies quite similar to Enthuse for, for, for some time uh, and, and, and probably more options in terms of uh, a more customizable and branded approach, personalized approach to, to fundraising. And uh, so the technology has been, been there for a while in terms of the, the, the capabilities. But I think the focus uh, on, on online fundraising has been much more around cost. You know, we've had big corporate brands coming into the space and just competing purely on the basis of price and not necessarily on the, on the basis of innovation or, or technology. And I think that perhaps things have moved on a bit and the, the, the sector is, is seeing really the value of investment and the value of innovation and technology in this in this space. And it's almost similar to the admin cost debate where hopefully this is, you know, it's mo- moving on and the focus is more on what, what technology can can deliver. Um, and so, I you know, I think that's fresh in the last few years in terms of the, the dynamics. And, you know, my original inspiration for coming into the space we talked about was around the providing more customizable way for, for smaller charities to take online donations but you know it was also very clear that in in the world of peer-to-peer and sponsorship fundraising that it was very you know the the, the status quo is very transactional supporters would give through fundraising websites they're really removed from the cause from the brand of the charity the, the data was taken away from charities and, and really charities i think were present prevented from being able to build these these meaningful relationships and I think that there's just more awareness now of the importance of cultivating those those donor relationships, and the fact that there are digital tools that are more flexible, more personalised to your cause, and allow you to do a, a better job of engaging and inspiring donors, and converting them from, you know, a, a one-off sponsorship fundraiser who, who, or donor who may be just giving to a friend to somebody who actually learns more and becomes inspired by the cause and goes on to give in in other ways, and you know, that's that's what we're we're trying to achieve with technology it's all about transforming digital fundraising by putting charities first and that's Mm -hmm. what we mean by that is it's literally putting them in the center of the digital experience
0: certainly if you go to any talk at the moment with charities or even just catch anyone on a on a zoom call they will talk about the 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 transformation that we've had over the past year, a bit like we were talking about with with schools and homeschooling, that actually we'll look back on this year as a real transformation for us. That we've um, certainly yeah. the digital fundraisers that I've known have been screw- we've been telling you this for ages. Finally, you're <laughs> kind of catching on and you're you're listening to us. And those guys have come to the fore exactly as you say around that seamless journey and connection to the cause. And and the data has become. Well, people have maybe realised the value of that? This
1: past yeah, year. I've definitely seen. I've seen the conversations move on because I think three years ago I would have have conversations and so, sometimes fundraisers would say you know people when they're donating to, to a friend in a peer-to-peer or, or sponsorship fundraising scenario they, they don't they're just supporting their friend they're not interested in, in the cause and I think now there's so much more appreciation for whilst, whilst that's true that's totally true from a motivational perspective actually people share similar interests and it's about communicating more about that cause and inspiring somebody. And actually, there is a, a route of engagement where somebody can go from first of all donating just to support their friend to actually thinking, oh, wow, that, that is actually an interesting cause, and I'm glad that my donation has had that impact. And next year in the event, they may, they may consider fundraising for that charity themselves. And I, I, I think there's, there's been some kind of change there. Uh, we get a different kind of response these days. <laughs>
2: In a typical conversation, and I appreciate that you guys started off in kind of the small to medium-sized charities and basically offering them a tool that enabled them to do digital fundraising, probably for the first time in terms of taking donations through their website. But as you've developed, the company's developed, you've processed £100 million in donations, you're obviously working with some of the biggest charities there are out there. What is normally the problem or the issue that you guys are asked to solve, or why do people choose and use to work with?
1: it can vary when we look at bigger charities uh, more more increasingly now is that unified donor experience that personalized and branded donor experience Mm -hmm. right the way across the journey so it's from event registration and the purchasing of a ticket in in an event all the way through to the automatic creation of that fundraising page and 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 so that that's something that 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 we do as you may know we made an acquisition of, of primo events in in 2019 and have brought the the two technologies together to be able to offer that, that unified experience. So I think that's really, really important. Uh, and as, as you said yourself, charities more and more want to create that seamless end-to-end experience. I think often the data is really important. Charities want ownership of the data. They want to be able to decide what data they collect about their supporters in the registration and, and fundraising creation process. So that, that kind of consistent experience, personalized experience, as well as the data, is they're, they're I guess, key things that we think certainly the bigger charities are looking are looking to achieve.
2: So James is running a bit late as usual, so it gives me a quick opportunity just to give you an update on where you can find more about us on the social channels. So we're on Twitter and Instagram at Do more Good pod You can also visit us on the website at domoregood.uk. There you can find loads of episodes and information, and we're also launching our new newsletter soon, so you can hear all about our latest episodes and get some of the VIP the content. Oh, here he is. Come on, James, where have you been? To
0: segue slightly, it has been a challenging year. Though so it sounds like you, you guys have done very well through it, but um, it has been a challenging year to navigate. And people have had to lead their, their businesses in different ways. What kind, of a, what kind of a leader are you? And what are kind of the, the, the key skills that you've adopted this past year?
1: It's evolved, I think. My, my role has evolved so much as the team the team has grown. And we go back a few years and I, I would have to really get involved in, in things at a much more granular level. And now now that role, that leadership role has changed to to setting and articulating the vision where we're where we're going and what we're trying to achieve and of course the the, the reason why. And you know with my senior team for trying to facilitate really productive discussion and and, and conflict, ideological conflict of ideas to, to make sure that we're we're really developing or coming to the right the right conclusions as a team as we've grown that that's you know that that's really become the, the focus of my role rather than necessarily doing the, the delivery uh which is you know been um, i'm very much a doer so that's a an unusual sort of transition for, for me but it's hard, one I've it's been hard when you,
0: when you're a doer to let go there are certain ways that you like to do things or you know how to do them and to let that go and let someone else take control is, is tough.
1: It is, it is. But I think one of the things that's been really helpful is we've just got an amazing team and we've added so many people to the business in the last two years. But How really big are you, Chester, expensive. sorry, by the way? Just over 50 at the moment. We're growing at quite a rate and that that continues. But I, I guess it was only a few years ago that we were sort of 15 or 20. So it's um, it's, it's, it's changed
2: that's really interesting because i think you know one of the things that we like to do about this podcast is hopefully for our audience is, is is get our guests to kind of share some of the pitfalls and the challenges and the things that they've learned along the way in terms of their journey obviously from kind of founding the business and and, and working with the business as you've just mentioned the acquisition uh recently i'm sure there's been tough times when you've had to ask yourself some tough questions like you know is this worth it i'm working 23 hours a day can you just describe some of those tough times that you faced and maybe is is there one that kind of sticks in your mind that was really pivotal when you look at actually where enthusiasts today and the decisions that you made
1: yeah there's one there's one that really really sticks out as a low point (laughs) <laughs> um, probably when I was the closest to giving up, I, to be honest, I, I think it's just not really in my nature. Um, I, I would have, I kind of had to to keep going. But quite a few years ago now, we were probably about seven or eight people, and we had problems with our with our CRM. It was a technical problem; and there was some kind of error, and i had I had a team of people who used it every day, either from a sales perspective or a support perspective and i had to get everybody taking notes on on paper so there was about eight people in the office just constantly on the phone and having to write everything down on on paper and i it was just me to fix this problem there was there was no one else i could could call on and i, I i'm not a database administrator nor a developer this problem went on for about 4 days and i did i did work on it all day and all night and that's no exaggeration it was constant i would move from one call center initially I think it was one in the UK I think it may have even be three because I remember being bounced to the US and then late at night I think it was I was bounced to, to India but there was multiple locations and I was being passed over from one to the other and it was it was you know something like a 72 hour marathon I, I slept like two hours one night or something like that and then there was another one I didn't actually go home I just stayed at the office and then carried on and I think at that point I just thought well what am I doing because a lot oh, of my I, do. <laughs> yeah, I think you know my friends that was probably about two years maybe two years into the journey you know at which point all my friends were uh, on great salaries and doing whatever it was working in law firms and, and careers and I was you know staying up all night trying to fix a, a database with you know sort of little little progress if you want to start something you just need to really love it because you're going to have moments like that probably the sensible thing to do on kind of all objective measures not just because you're having a bad time but you know in in the beginning you know it's often hard and you you would you would just pack it in because it it kind of makes sense to makes sense to do that but I think if you really love it, it it'll keep you going the thought of having to do something else is the bit that keeps you going
0: I've been, I've been talking to my, my kids a lot about this recently that you've got to have the bad days in order to have the good. Otherwise everything would just merge into one. I'm interested in hearing about what's it feel like to go from a company of, you were saying kind of 15, 20 up to, up to 50 and really catch and really, you know, see that momentum grow and, and kind of hanging onto the coattails and that, that rush of excitement that you must get from success, I guess, kind of kind of, how does that feel? Is it, is it made better by having those 72 hour marathons? with a call center, you know, that you've had the bad days, and then you can really properly enjoy the good. It must be yeah. just really exciting to, to feel an idea catch like that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the one problem is you don't really get time to sort of stop back and, and, uh, and, and reflect. So it's something I've just not given a huge amount of, of, of thought to. But, but yes, I think, you know, the, the, the day-to-day of, of what I do has definitely become more enjoyable. It's amazing having a great team that deliver amazing stuff like i get every day now i'll see something that i have nothing to do with and i'm like wow that is bloody amazing that's awesome that's like the best the best feeling and i guess that's that's the thing that's made me really embrace that change that is it is quite it's quite difficult to go from a doer to, to more strategic but I think those those daily little moments of seeing stuff that people in the team have done, is brilliant. That must and be uh, amazing.
0: Yeah, to have that, like you say, to be, from being a doer and being involved in everything that, that happens and really hands on to then suddenly just discovering something that's been happening on the other side of the office that you, you didn't know about, but it's brilliant that it's coming through. And you think, oh, yes, yeah. I've helped kind of incubate that and make that happen. That must be, that must be great
1: and it's and it's so because we have those subject matter experts it's so much better than how I could have done it as well so that's you know that's what makes it exciting is you just think thank god I didn't do it because it would have been
2: no idea <laughs> it was would good. Have been terrible yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know Chester as you talk there's obviously where we are at the moment I think we all know about challenges the country faces economically you know the fact that there's going to be millions of young people out there who have had their education disrupted over the last year, you know, the, the, the jobs that are going to be available when they start their career. And I guess that we want to ensure that kind of young people continue to embrace the spirit of entrepreneurialism. From from your view and your journey to, to standing here today, you know, running a, a successful tech business in a, a brilliant sector, such as the charity sector, how do you think we need to Encourage younger people to to really take risks. What can we do around that, or have you had any thoughts?
1: Hmm. Well, I, can, I guess I can only speak from personal experience. And like I said at the beginning, I didn't I didn't really have um, entrepreneurship around me. There was no there was no reference of that. But what I did have was this this idea that in your work life, you just pursue your your passions. If you can make a career from that, I guess then that's the best outcome. So I I, I guess you know for for young people and i i won't pretend to have the to have the answer but i but i think that it, it definitely it definitely can only help to to encourage people to explore the things that they're really truly passionate about that they're that they just want to learn more and more and more about that they're willing to kind of devote their life to and just immerse themselves in 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 that and i think you know when you're young you've got to explore lots of different things to to find that i i certainly did i i tried all sorts of different things and I you know, found that the, the charity sector and fundraising digital fundraising this was something I, I just loved and if I'd never been exposed to it, I probably wouldn't have started something I probably would have gone and got a, a job that maybe I was less passionate about so I think did you I nearly say just...
2: get a proper job then yeah, <laughs> it sounded like you were going to say I, get I think I think was say <laughs> podcast host
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect this is a you know, perfect example of an entrepreneurial passion that can that can grow in something amazing
2: you know, I mean, you talk about pursuing your, your passions and, you know, I think it's a message that we, we try to encourage with, with a lot of people is about follow your passion, particularly in this sector, right? Where we have so many amazing, passionate people who are so passionate for the cause, which in, in some ways can also be a negative because I think, you know, we've, it's been well documented the, the challenges that we have around the sector in terms of, you know, mental health and, and burnout and, and people being too driven by the cause. But I guess, as a founder of a business, as a as a CEO, as as a leader, how do you cope when it gets really difficult and stressful? Can you talk any about your how you do approach that yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm ha- happy to. And yes, yeah, certainly last year that was that was a challenge because I think for everybody, when you know, if you're lucky enough to be in work, you were dealing with a rapidly changing situation and. You know, I certainly felt a huge amount of pressure to to step up to that and meet that meet that challenge, um, and probably put probably put too much on, on on myself. And I think, you know, it's it's been particularly difficult because one of the one of the things you would usually do is take breaks, try and get away, like maybe on holiday, even you know, God forbid, wow. what? think about that idea, <laughs> um, because we you know we do need to we we do need to get some perspective and and not get sucked up into the into the whirlwind um there are things that i've done i've got into meditation keeping a good routine and, and exercise is really is really helpful there are things that i i've tried to do and i think yeah just if you if you can you know ma- maintain something outside of your work life like for me it's surfing that's the thing that if i can
2: get
1: a, a, a period then that it just washes everything else Away and but for other people, it might be reading reading books, it might be whatever it is. But think, it's Instagram you know, stories for me, Instagram <laughs> stories that's my new go. passion. Yeah,
2: That's Make, it.
0: making waves on instagram
1: the stress melt away
0: i don't know you haven't got kenneth critiquing them you gotta oh, talk about pressure
2: well um, james did a first instagram story on our instagram account that we we've literally just got back on our phones and started trying to do something with and i'd said he had the personality of a cactus which i think <laughs> it, it was it was supposed to be I've a compliment
0: a, i've done a second one i've called i've Whoa. called you out on the second one just check it out To get us back on track, I thought thought it was really interesting a minute ago where I asked you about how to kind of reflect on success. And we've talked before about how, you know, you've got a company of 50 people and you've raised a hundred million pounds and you've Forbes 30 under 30 and you hadn't really considered that yet. So, I mean, what, where do you see yourself going? What are your goals? You hadn't, you obviously haven't reached them yet. If you're not reflecting on them, where do you want to be kind of professionally, personally in the future? And how do you kind of hold yourself accountable to those goals?
1: Well, I mean, we're, yeah, we're certainly nowhere near uh, achieving what we, what we want to achieve with NPUs. With I think, you know, right, right now, very focused on trying to, to deliver the toolkit that, that charities need to, to, to deal with the, the pandemic. But longer term, our vision is to be number one in the online charity fundraising space in the UK and Ireland and, and then beyond. It's a, a big vision but I think you know the most important thing is is staying true to the mission in that in that process and as I said before that's that's about trying to transform digital fundraising by putting charities right at the the center of the, the experience so there's a lot that we're that we're going to do to expand into to new markets and to grow the team but you know ultimately I, I don't think we're anywhere near having transformed entirely the way charities do and do the digital fundraising and think Think about it, and we'll know when we're there. And stop to pause and think at that point.
2: Nice, <laughs> good answer. I think it's really interesting to hear your 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 backstory and, and kind of an about and today. You, you did mention when we were talking about coming on that you've got a report coming out soon, or as it might already be out. Can you just let us know a little bit about that and what it's going to what it's going to tell people?
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So every quarter we we publish the donor pulse report. So the most recent one is the, the winter edition, which is available on our website. Um, if you go to enthuse so we 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 have a, a new version coming out fairly soon, and I, I won't uh, I won't do any uh, spoilers or or give anything away because uh, the marketing team will will wrap my knuckles. I'll be in a lot of trouble <laughs> if I do that. But it's what I what I what I can say is it's been really focused around uh, hybrid event, the future of uh, or, or for the rest of the, the year. there's some really 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 fascinating insight in there looking forward to to publishing that I had a glimpse today actually a sneak preview of the the raw data so yeah uh, do do keep an eye out for it I think if you download the winter one then you automatically can sign up for updates uh, when the new one comes in but it's really produced some fantastic insights Um, the one I mentioned about how the, the public are feeling more positive about charities we've seen different trends in the types of charities that have been getting funded so the rise of, of support for mental health charities and uh, of course you know nhs charities i think we all knew that but then more recently children's charities are starting to see more support so there's really interesting insight we we've surveyed a thousand members of the public to get these insights it's done through a, a third party um research agency that we partner with
0: we'll link to that on the site and make sure that, that yeah people can easily access that we're running a survey as well with three quick fire questions
2: we are okay quick fire questions that we need to review james we've said we were going to review these questions but we're keeping we, with them are we
0: we are for the next 7 minutes yes probably <laughs> but yeah we should probably we should probably collate the results and release that in a report then we should yeah top charity leaders yeah what they've said to these questions
2: but before we get to those three quick fire question sorry james i know that i'm messing up the system and the, and the progress here but, <laughs> and you know there's no rules to this right chester so we can do what we want here it's we're having a conversation over zoom Chester. after everything you've said and, and listening to your, your as you say your background the story of enthuse having a vision of what enthuse is from from my life uh, working within the sector i'm sure james has seen you know it looks very good from the outside as you said you know you're you're nowhere near where you want to be i think one of the questions that hopefully people want to hear is around what are your hopes for the sector more broadly over the next 12 months? I know, and I asked that within the context of, I know that you've done work in the past around the importance of digital trustees and, you know, having them on, mm. on charity panels. You've talked about impact and charities showing their impact. We've, we've kind of touched on, you know, the fee structure and and transparency. So I'm just wondering if you have a a view yeah. of the next 12 months that you that you hope this sector... That's
0: quite a nice question i'm glad you've snuck that one in there that's quite a good one
1: <laughs> yeah so you, you you're, you're right of course it's it's an incredibly difficult difficult time I, I read the other day that the chief economist at the bank of england recognized that the, the, the charity sector has has really been key to to stepping up to meeting the the challenge of of the pandemic and the social issues that it it creates and of course charities have got this double-edged sword this huge pressure on demand for 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 their resources uh and this huge pressure on funding but almost all streams of fundraising uh funding other than digital fundraising which is the one area that's that's obviously growing and we just had the budget Mm. i know a lot of people are very disappointed about the level of support there's a little bit there for domestic violence charities and uh and uh, military charities but i think you know people are Understandably frustrated and, and feel feel overlooked. And I think this is an interesting dynamic when that's happening at the same time as some of the insight we're seeing, where actually the public are rallying around charities. The, the public are feeling more and more positive towards charities. They're wanting to, to give more when they can afford to. And obviously the, the economic aspect makes that complicated, but they're but they're overwhelmingly feeling more positive. So I guess my hope is that actually there is an opportunity here for the sector to become kind of like central to the, the sort of the national narrative. Uh, and that over the next uh, 12 months, and I think maybe the return of, of physical events and the way that that happens could be important, That there is so much more attention given to the amazing work that charities do. And, and actually what, what, what happens is an appreciation for charities and how important their work is that didn't exist two years ago. And that that long-term, can propel the sector and, and, and result in, in more funding, and, and and hopefully even perhaps being able to bring some of these other these other topics about impact and, and so on to, to to give them a bigger a bigger voice. And so that, that's my hope, I guess, is that it moves up the national agenda and, and and people really start to really start to appreciate the, the role that, that charities play in society.
0: That's a nice thought, really, considering the last few years when stories about charities haven't always been positive. Yeah, they've been hit with sticks around certain, and justifiably so. They've been hit with, you know, criticism where it's where it's this, deserved. But a, a better narrative around charities and actually the general public loving them is is great. Good to hear.
2: Yeah, I certainly like that. I think you I think you're right. I think the appreciation we're already starting to see it in, you know, my work. I'm sure James is and other people that you talk around the sector. It seems like there is a, a trajectory coming out of this with a change in how people perceive charities. I mean, there's still some way to go around transparency but i think that appreciation for for the work and how much they've propped up society over the last 12 months is is finally being seen and hopefully we can help and others can help share that message more widely so sorry james i went off piece with a a last question there but i I think it was a good one just to to sum up the conversation so should we jump into the quick fire questions
0: yeah okay shall i go first go on chester you may have heard these before, but uh, if you could transport back in time and meet your twenty-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give, and why?
1: Well, in- interestingly, because we touched a- upon this, uh, I would actually tell myself to work about five percent less hard uh, than I think I than I think I need to. It's a good point. I think you can you can get sucked in too much, and uh, it's in- it's important, I think, to to take breaks and and uh and have some time off so um i'd also probably tell myself to get some more mentors i don't know if i'm allowed to give myself two bits of advice but that would be the the other
0: you can do that with the extra five percent that's fine that's really interesting because i've seen more chat recently and I, i must admit it's probably through twitter so it's not you know a great survey but around not celebrating people working too hard it's actually celebrating the people who take proper breaks and go on surfing holidays and actually take that reflective time. Let's celebrate that. The people that can manage their manage to get their work done nine to five rather than those,
1: you know, the world of entrepreneurship definitely has a, 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 a challenge there. There is a concept of this sort of hustle culture, which I, I think is, it, it's, it's quite fundamental in the early stages. So I understand why it exists, but it doesn't produce well-rounded leaders. It's not good for the individual I think you make better decisions when you when you um, give yourself a bit more space Mm
2: -hmm. yeah in particular I think it's a good message that people need to hear relatively early in their career as well right you know when you're you maybe think that you need to prove yourself to what you perceive to be more experienced older people who have been around longer that you need to be seen to working hard and I still feel that that's around and so what it I think what it needs is, is leadership to really step up and say, no, this is not acceptable. And I think James, to your point, I think that's what we're seeing that actually throughout this period, leaders have stepped up and said, we don't want you to burn yourself out. you more, you do more damage to us and actually the business or the charity by doing that, take that time. And and so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that continues.
0: Don't Um, start a podcast. (laughs) exactly.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Chester, can you tell us about one life hack or a, a productivity tool or, or maybe a habit or a skill, something that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about?
1: Well, I think the, the one thing comes to mind, I think the, the problem is everybody already, already knows about this, but I was very late, very, very late to the party, but I, I've kind of learned to cook during, during lockdown. And that was a that was a an important life skill that had managed to evade me for a long, for a long time. Uh, so I signed up to HelloFresh. Other, other services uh, are available, and um, uh, and yeah, to have kind of gradually, gradually learned to, learn to cook a few things, here and there. So that that was that was one positive to come out of it. Um, What's your signature reading. dish? My my favorite is probably I don't know how to describe it. It's this chicken. Dish with uh, mayonnaise and uh, breadcrumbs. Uh, it's amazing. I don't know the name of it, but I've got the menu somewhere in there. And, Chicken um, a la
0: chester I think. We'll yeah, let's call it. That's, that's cool that. <laughs> Good.
1: <laughs> that's nice. That is cool.
0: that's a, Yeah, and again, uh, it is a good life skill. Well done. A final question for you. So, as a podcast that is focused on people doing more good, what is your favorite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey or recently? Who has done something good for others?
1: Uh, I'm going to get back to the beginning, uh, to, to what we discussed in the beginning and say that uh, Dan Palotta is, is is probably one of the first people that, that really inspired me. I was about 19 um, when, his, when when his first book Uncharitable came out and I read it and I actually emailed him. Uh, and we exchanged lots of emails and debated some of the ideas in the book, which was very nice of him to do with a uh, you know random 19-year-old that was that was at university. So that that definitely just kind of further ignited my uh, interest in, in, in the sector. And so, yeah, I'd like to, wherever he is, thank him for that. That was uh, a nice a nice touch.
0: Good
2: choice. I haven't messaged him
1: since, but... Um,
0: oh, well, but... We'll, don't worry, well, we'll do that on your behalf in a, in a week or so's time. No worries. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Chester, I think we can probably wrap it up there thank you for, for your time and thank you for, for giving your energy to, to today it's, it's really interesting to hear your backstory and about enthuse and you know we wish you all the best for the future and this sector that i think we're all in it needs people to disrupt it needs people to change it needs people to bring new ideas and it seems that that you and your team are, are doing that so yeah wish you wish you lots of luck uh, is there any final thought or anything that you would like to to leave anyone with chester
1: I, I just want to say, uh, you know, thank you so much for for having me on the podcast. It was a great conversation. So, yeah, thank you very much, both of you. Really, really appreciate you having me on.
2: No worries. All right, James, anything you want to add? I mean, uh, by got, the way, I just have to say that mic that you've got in front of you is very <laughs> snazzy, isn't it? You sound amazing. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd got away with this. What are we, Can one minute just...
0: from close and then...
2: Can yeah. you just give us a rendition of an Oasis song and we'll pretend oh. it's the classroom that Chester was in right at the start. What have you got with that, mic, you, you must have something. To-
0: that was going to be my final point to go to with, with uh, in the spirit of today with one final question. What is what is Chester? What is your favourite uh, Oasis song?
1: Oh, I'm just going to say Wonderwall. Because it's the first that came to mind. But there's a lot of there's a lot of classics,
2: lovely stuff. Let's wrap it up there then, guys. All right, take care. All the best. See you soon. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Take care.
0: Bye. Just before we go, we have another belter of an episode this Friday a chat with Amy Hutchings from Open about purpose driven brands and what we can learn from them. We'll speak to you then. If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoyed this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram? At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos
2: on the website UK And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk.